You're listening to Lost and Sound, a podcast exploring music, identity, and the future. I always believe that one of the best ways we come together is through music. And through this series, I'm looking at how music can and is bringing us together now and in the future. From my base in Berlin, we'll be meeting artists from a range of disciplines from all across the world who are drawing on music right now, some already exploring new ways of doing this. Hey, how are you? I hope you're good. I hope you're well. I hope you're having an amazing week. I'm underneath a tree. It started raining. I was walking to the canal uh, to speak with you, actually, and it just started really raining it down. And, and I'm by a big church underneath a tree, avoiding bits of rain. There's been a few really bizarre rays of hope with things like vaccine in Berlin in the last week, but it's it's in a really, really strange way. This will mostly be news to people listening that don't live in Berlin. Um, as you know, the vaccine rollout has been incredibly slow for various reasons. And what seems to have sort of happened about midweek last week would be messages going round of certain GPs that were able to deliver the vaccine to anyone. Um, and you just have to sort of turn up and hope. And a PDF went online of different places that may or may not be able to deliver the vaccine to people. Um, and it sort of felt a little bit like Pokemon Go, um, there's, there's, there was this sort of wave of people running around, crossing from one side of town to another, going from, going from Neukölln to Wedding, because there's a GP there that, that if you get there at the right time, might be able to give you some vax. I went on Friday. I was really, really excited. I was really nervous as well. And I got there. I got to a place on Hermannplatz. And the hours were wrong. <laughs> I got there like a couple of hours early. And so I thought, oh my God, because I want to factor in a couple of days afterwards to just recover if, if, if needs be. Um, so yes, it's a strange kind of thing. And, and as I'm saying, I'm very, 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 very aware of the privilege of being any place in the world where things like vaccine progress, even if it is a bit sluggish, is a thing where social distancing is a thing that can be done and I'm in no way want to take that for granted really 
I hope you're good. I hope you're well. Today on the show, I had a chat yesterday with Flora Yin Wong, DJ, producer, multidisciplinarian. I heard her most recent mix for Resident Visor, and that was the first thing I heard of her. And I started digging backwards into her work, her album last year, Holy Palm, which I just absolutely love. This kind of way of collaging sound and field recordings kind of in the interview kind of go on to talk about the word collaging and it's not something that she feels I got the impression of in the interview an amazing connection with that word but for the lack of me really having my stuff together to describe it to you if you've not heard her work and I apologize about that um, it left me with this impression but it it really inspired me to dig deeper with uh, with her work. And she has a book coming out, Liturgy, which is really enchanting, what I've read of it. And so I was really, really interested to speak with her. And she's one of these people, and we talk about this in the interview, that has a lot of slashes in her title. Uh, she was editor of Dazed, digital editor of Dazed for a while. She... Uh, worked for the Berlin label, the amazing Berlin label Pan for a while and her DJing and her production work is just awesome. So I was really, really, really happy to have this chat. This chat happened yesterday evening. That was May the 3rd. I hope you enjoy. Hi. Hi. Hey, Flora, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Um, sorry, like I said, my connection is not super great because I'm living basically without internet at the moment, but hopefully it's okay. No worries. It seems to be okay so far, touch wood. <laughs> um, thanks so much for joining me. So so you're, you're in Wales still, are you? No, I came back um, yesterday or the day before, actually. Um, but yeah, I was there for a project for a record label based up north. Um, and they sent me on a trip there um, to do an EP and like a sample pack and stuff like that. Oh, amazing. I mean, I'm going to get into this a little bit later. And I, I presume you probably can't give too much away about this project. But um, yeah. I, one of the things that I really like about your music and your work is the sort of like, there's a sort of travel log element to it. Um, a sort of like a this sourcing of sounds from different places and did Wales play a role in why you were there was it a location reason um yeah well initially this their idea was um because they got some funding basically from I think the Arts Council but it was kind of like based around the premise that it's related to like ecology so initially they wanted to send me to the Isle of Egg in the Hebrides um and that place because they have like they they live very like green um in terms of like there's i think there's like no outside cars and i think maybe all of their electricity is generated in a ecologically friendly way um anyway so initially they wanted me to go there but you know straight after lockdown it didn't really feel that appropriate to kind of go somewhere really um remote and isolated because their population is like I think there's like 70 people that live there or 100 people so it wouldn't be great for me to like go over from London so um but Wales had 
reopen their borders for a while and I was staying somewhere kind of remote there but like not very much interaction with people um and also I went to McKinleth which is basically a place that also has an ecological ethos I think um they they have like a, a center for like renewable energy and I think they're kind of they're very um conscious of that over there so so that's kind of the reason why we chose there Wales doesn't particularly like I don't really have any connection to Wales or anything so right right so it's more those reasons <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um because the thing is you, you know like the word multidisciplinary is, is something that you know you get called a lot and it's something that you know you function between all of these different kind of forms of expression from editing to writing to the music to the DJing um how do you balance these different mindsets um I mean I guess they're all linked like obviously I think I mean, for me, it's kind of the other way around. Like, I started as a DJ for a really long time before I started producing. And I I do see them as very different things, but I think people do kind of assume that if you produce, then you can DJ and vice versa. Um, but, I mean, to be honest, I actually, I find DJing something, like, it's one of my favourite things. Like, it's just so much fun, and I feel like it comes a lot more naturally to me, whereas, like, production... Um, I actually don't feel like I'm very musical as such. Like I'm not really, I'm not like musically trained or anything. So it's a much lengthier process for me, and I have to really be like in the right like mind frame to be able to to get something to come out that I want to come out. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, um, totally. Yeah. But like, I guess with the writing and editing, again, also something that I've just always had an interest in interest in like I really love just the way the words can sound or the way they're put together and the meaning of words and etymology and stuff like that so it ends up kind of overlapping in some sense like thematically I guess Mm. but I mean like in terms of on, on a kind of practical level um do you find it quite difficult to kind of switch your mindset? Say if you've got a busy amount of stuff on and um, you've got some maybe writing, maybe more for a client, and then you've also got um, something personal that you're producing as well. Do you have to kind of like take a step back in some way or um, to kind of access your mind? Um, not necessarily. I think I've always kind of had, I've usually had a day job or like mm. multiple jobs at the same time. And so I kind of feel like I like to have that separation of like being able to make music on a purely kind of like creative or like fun level, as opposed to writing for like a big fashion brand or a magazine or something in a more kind of like corporate sense sometimes. And I think it's, for me, it's quite easy and I'm happy. And I prefer to switch in between different things all the time. If it was just one linear thing all the time, I'd just get really bored. <laughs> and do you find like, I mean, uh, do you find like ideas that sort of start out maybe as one thing in a way? Because there's, there's such a commonality, I think, in all kinds of creative activity or not just creative in a straightforward sense, but like cooking or gardening could be considered this as well. Or anything really where, where um, do you find there's a sort of 
do you find unusual commonalities that kind of creep in between these different multidisciplinary things? Yeah, I guess like, well, just for example, like the, the album, like Holy Palm, um, like that was kind of initially created at the same time as this book that I was writing. And it was kind of, those were linked in the sense of like, the things that inspire them both tend to like interlink basically. And I think the way that, you know, whether I write or whether I make music in relation to like being a response to those topics of interest, they're just kind of like different tools to like manifest these ideas, I guess. And really like if I knew more about like visuals as in like making visuals or being like in graphics or photography or film like I'd always I've always been really interested in those areas as well and I kind of wish that I kind of like do all the things but I just like you know it's better to like really focus on one thing rather than just be like chuck of all trades and I think yeah absolutely I, if I answered the question I can't remember <laughs> no no it's, it's no definitely no it's, it's it's a kind of a train of thought kind of conversation really yeah, yeah. no it's interesting isn't it because sometimes it's like if you're at a party it, you don't really like I mean there might be certain differences between say myself and just someone that's just a drummer for example but there's a lot of connection just in terms of anyone that kind of makes anything yeah I think I think it's great that people like I think it's confused well it's not confusing but I guess it's like there's different ways of looking at it because like I guess like back in the day certain people were like artists were also scientists who are also you know mathematicians like it's just like you know everyone was kind of like a polymath and then there's this kind of like I guess more of a thought or trend where people kind of like they have one occupation and that defines them as a person and identity and their whole life. And you don't really move away from that. And then again, now, like, you know, I guess it's more about people being like slashes, you know, like someone who's mm. like a designer slash stylist slash DJ slash model slash everything. And I think obviously like the latter has really bad connotations because it's a bit like, well, one, I think there's a lot of pressure on people to feel like, they have to tick all these boxes and do all these different things um, when they're like kind of not related, like being an actress and being a, having to be a singer or something. But also like, I feel like, you know, certain people are good at certain things and others. And I think, you know, life is kind of short, so you should just be able to do whatever you feel like doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, like, how long did you move to Berlin? Um, three years ago three years ago okay. you were here for a while weren't you yeah I wasn't there for that long I was there for like three months okay um, and that was maybe maybe three four years ago I can't remember okay so we probably crossed over um yeah maybe uh, whereabouts were you living in Neuken Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I, uh, I've kind of sort of moved around quite a bit as is the kind of cliched thing that people do here, but it's mm. mostly between Kreuzberg and Neukölln as well yeah. and, and stuff Some, somewhere where you, you can not too far from Tempelhoferfeld if you can, if you can yeah. manage it. And stuff. Yeah. It's nice. I miss it there really. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And because you, what what prompted your move out there? Was it to do with Pam Records, or did that happen when you were out there? Um, yeah. So basically, I had just moved back to London from a year and a half in Hong Kong, and I was working like a really bougie like corporate job doing like music direction for a luxury hotel chain and I didn't really I don't know like it was amazing in in certain senses but also it made me feel really like I think it made me really like realize that money isn't really my like goal in life like I think it's like really drilled into me um, just from like my upbringing I guess my family like how that is like the most important thing ever and it's um I guess a very like typical kind of traditional mindset but then I think like having done that when I was there I realized that it didn't really make me happy so I kind of wanted to do what I wanted to that what, what I cared about the most which is I guess like things and the arts and music that like really interested me so I already knew Bill a bit before from when I was working at Dazed because I used to like write about the label from quite a long time ago and then he happened to be in town and he happened um yeah we just happened to to meet up about um potentially working together because he was doing that label with the sub label codes mm. with Visionist at the time and I thought you know like maybe it would be good timing like as they launch a second kind of part um and yeah it was great like Bill hadn't really like worked with anyone else before like on the label so it was kind of like it wasn't like a very strict like role with responsibilities or anything it was just very very open as a dialogue and discussion and it felt like the work was really like um it was really interesting because it was really diverse and allowed me to like kind of do different things there as well so so then I ended up so that's why I moved there for like a little bit more mm. solid and that must have been quite a big change from, like you were saying, the kind of corporates uh, and the kind of aspirational money orientated. I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, obviously you're doing curation, so it's not entirely money orientated, but with the pressure, I guess the, the corporate pressure put on top of the curation that you were doing at the hotel um, to, to sort of like the freedom of working for the label. Um, did, were there things that you noticed about your was it was it a relaxing process for you to let go of these this expectation of money to that degree um no <laughs> like it was really stressful <laughs> I mean so like the, the job in Hong Kong was like my second job ever and the, the job I had before that like again it was really like creatively fulfilling for the most part but like you know financially I was always really struggling with that and I that's just kind of how it is I guess with like a lot of the arts it's kind of mm. like that's just the, the kind of balance that you have to to deal with which is a bit unfortunate because I think it means that it is true that ends up being a lot of like people from really like wealthy backgrounds who can kind of continue to pursue certain creative fields um whereas like you know, I, I really, it was like, I couldn't really do it anymore. Um, and when I moved to Hong Kong, that was kind of just a leap of faith where I just quit my job and decided to like go somewhere like 
completely new and I don't really like fully speak the language I'd only know like five people and it was really like a big um it was like a big step and also not because it kind of felt really easy to do it once I was there and I kind of felt like oh now that I've I'm able to do this then I can kind of continue doing that you know I kind of feel like mm. it sounds bad but in a sense it kind of felt like there aren't really that many consequences like if you take if you make a wrong decision it's like just fix it later I don't now I, I don't know if that's really true but I think at the time I felt like that and um yeah I don't know I think everything kind of turned out really lucky there um but then I think coming back it's like you know I was with Pan for maybe like I think three years or something and that was it was really it was great but like again financially I think you know obviously there's like a super small independent label um I had to have other means of like supporting myself so I often like I I also worked for another bougie place in Mayfair eventually at the same time so but it was just it was nice to have the boat like to have both like in my life yeah I mean I've had I've had similar things I think more when I was living in London as well where I was um doing a lot of kind of corporate event jobs as well and and um and yeah I mean it's, it's easy to kind of slag them off because maybe they're not cool in in the same way as a personal project or working for someone who's got a real vision behind like an independent kind of creative mm -hmm. idea but at the same time I think there's, you know, that there, there there was some really amazing moments of kind of just being in incredible locations, really, and and sort of seeing things of a big scale come off, which wouldn't happen otherwise, uh, and stuff. But I'm really going on a tangent with that, anyway. <laughs> um, but going on, um, I wanted to kind of, I'm going to talk about holy, ask you about holy, holy palm um, in a bit. But I wanted to kind of just ask you first about like uh, your childhood and how music and writing kind of came into your life do you have any sort of really specific memories of being young and music leaving some kind of impression that was a bit special um well I guess I mean like I do have older siblings but I didn't really grow up with them um because they're quite a jump like in terms of age gap from me so like my sister's like 12 years older my brother's eight years older so I didn't really like kind of grow up with them like showing me music and stuff like that and my parents also like they just they weren't well I grew up just with my mom um so I wasn't like exposed to a lot of like you know like culture in general um but my mom is well she's a Cantonese opera singer so that was just what she spent her whole life doing and she was very very I mean she's very really good at it but she's like she was very kind of I guess obsessive with it so that you know she was just always singing and like always playing her music really loud and as a kid like I would be the one like banging on a wall like trying to get her to <laughs> shut up and reversal. It, yeah it was kind of always in a lot of ways like that and um I guess I never at the time thought about it as having like a influence or anything on me because I really hate that kind of it's just like I'm not really interested in opera um but also like Cantonese opera is just really really jarring like it's just really really difficult to listen to um and but now yeah I guess like now I kind of see 
certain things that are appealing about it why i can like kind of um break it apart a little bit and think about certain aspects that i do like but anyway so that, that's kind of like what was kind of the only thing that i can kind of say about my childhood in terms of music um and i guess i was kind of like being asian like i was kind of forced to pick one of two instruments to play so it was like do you want to play the piano or do you want to play the violin and i was like i'll play the violin um so i just i mean i kind of studied that as a kid like just for a few years and did a few grades um and then like briefly played like saxophone and clarinet and stuff like that and yeah i don't know i guess like some when i kind of started growing a bit older like, the first things i was really like listening to was like garage and hip-hop and stuff like that um that was a little bit through my sister when she used to babysit me sometimes um yeah my my like childhood is like really fragmented so it's kind of like mm. it's hard to try to remember where certain things or how certain things happen but yeah but you, you kind of so you kind of grew up in London and was there a sort of moment where, where kind of like sort of any kind of like London scene or like sort of sounds when you like teenage or uh, started to kind of creep into your life in that way? Yeah, I mean, that was a really fun time because I think like when I was like, you know, like 13 to 17, 18 in London, like there are loads of really like good um I guess I was more into like the slightly left field kind of like rock and metal and stuff like that. And um, you know, my friends used to go to a lot of venues that are all totally shut down now. So like we used to go to like Madame Jojo's and mm. Buffalo Bar and the Garage, which I think is like tried to reopen, um, and Mean Fiddler and The End and all this like. Mm. Astoria, like all these places they were like in Tottenham Court Road, Soho, and it's just like they were gone. But at that time it's like, you know, I don't really remember how, but like, you know, we used to discover like really, really like small indie bands. And sometimes like I try and go back and like find some of these people. And it's really interesting because some of them are now like doing experimental music or like they're doing completely different things or they're like totally like off radar like, I can't find anything about them at all um but yeah I feel like that that probably um influenced like my tastes a lot like because it was pretty weird like that stuff I guess <laughs> it's interesting saying that actually because I think like living in Berlin like I mean obviously this year is completely different but usually like if you kind of look at the lineups at a lot of the big clubs um a lot of the DJs are people that were like really into indie and rock maybe 15 10 15 20 years ago and it does seem that there's a sort of some kind of weird pull in terms of like the sonics of, of being into kind of maybe distorted loud sounds um or I don't know, maybe a transcendence that came from at least the kind of the rock, left field rock that I was into that has led me more onto the dance floor or into sort of more uncharted kind of experimental territory, really. No, yeah, yeah I, I think sometimes I do wonder, like, you know, how is it that everything always does kind of move in these big waves where, like, everyone is making 
a certain kind of thing everyone's making indie everyone's making whatever and then they're making electro and then they're making techno and then they're making house and then now all the techno producers are making ambient and all the ambient people are doing field recordings and it's like what is driving these kind of waves like is it just kind of like this big media like machinery of like whatever gets hype or is it like a more like intuitive and social thing where it's like you know musicians are all friends with other musicians and everyone decides to do certain things together not together but like you know off being inspired by each other and things like that but I guess um being of a certain age being millennial or I guess like certain of those people have now reached that stage where they're doing similar things maybe I don't know no it's, it's something that I wonder about as well um in in terms that I do think that there are certain cultural swellings that kind of happen with like outside even outside of immediate cultural music that kind of sometimes influence the direction like for example ambient uh being really popular at the moment could be partly because we can't really go and dance legally so well you know maybe mm. it inspires like an opening of an interior kind of space um but then also yeah there is a, there is a sort of thing that about people i don't know maybe there is a sort of thing about scenes and being part of a scene as well and um have you have you ever felt mm. particularly part of a scene um I don't know I guess it's kind of hard to say because I guess for a good period of my life like well actually most of my life I guess I'm always working in music so it feels like um by whatever company I'm working for I'm going to be associated with certain things so it did always feel like you know I used to you know when we could go out I used to go out a lot um and you would always see the same people at the same nights even if they're different venues and kind of different kinds of genres but it all kind of falls under the same kind of thing and it's like I think in London it's just different because it feels quite like it can feel quite industry um or same as Berlin but like you know in a, in a different sense um so it does so you know I did I did feel like I was part of a scene and I felt like a lot of other people were like too but I guess it's like you know even before the pandemic I think like just starting in the last couple of years I feel like that was shifting a bit and it's a little bit alienating because I feel like yeah that was a really big part of my life like going to clubs and um, seeing other people who are also involved in these clubs and things like that but it's just really like obviously things are really different now so it's quite hard to like process I guess. Mm. I think it's quite hard to process regular life anyway in, in a sense at the moment it's all <laughs> we're kind of all living in a, a kind of a sort of a micro version I guess of, of ourselves like uh, I end up having conversations I get I end up sort of like I mean because you guys are out of lockdown now but we're still very much in lockdown here for a little while and little conversations with people in the shop 
with a mask on sort of become kind of highlights mm-hmm. of, the, of a couple of days, you know, it becomes a bit strange like that. Really. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, with that, like Holy Palm, um, I just think it's such an amazing record and so full of sort of like depth and texture and stuff. What was the kind of process for, for that album? Did, was there like a kind of a starting point that you remember for it? Um, not really. Like, I think it was mostly... Um, thank you, by the way. Um, like it was mostly kind of like, um, I think I was never really like intending to make an album, so it was just, you know, I have a lot of unfinished projects and things that, I've, that I just kind of like go back and forth to. And um, I guess I started putting things together um, that were kind of in a loose sense, like it wasn't really like um, like those record a lot of the recordings I used were never intended to to go any album. They were never intended like as a travelogue or as field recordings or anything like that. It was just stuff I saved on my phone basically, mm-hmm. and it ended up um, being like I don't know. Like I guess I find it really difficult to feel. Um, I guess there's always this kind of like, for me, it feels like if you can't really make anything that you really like or that is kind of interesting or new, then it feels a bit like I find it quite hard to like make anything at all. You know, it kind of feels like, oh, what's the point? And this is kind of not, I don't know. I feel like it needs, I need a lot of a push to to do things like that. In a, in a creative sense because otherwise it feels really meaningless so I think like that's something that like I need some underlying reason for things um and I don't know I guess things eventually started coming together um through all these kind of like um unfinished things and you know half ass recorded things and just like different just different like fragments of stuff that ended up making sense once it was put together well it, it, to me it did but also it didn't so I kind of really felt like I have no idea how this will be perceived like outside of my own head you know it's very it can be quite insular I think is it important do you think just generally it's just a general observation rather than anything else that that something does have importance to other people or or not I guess like now that it is out and like hearing how other people have like uh interpreted it or things like that it it does have meaning outside of itself now because because it did something you know like it did make some sort of sense or it had some sort of effect i guess um which, and I guess maybe it doesn't. No, I think it does. It does matter because otherwise, again, what's the point of really doing it? Is like you might as well just leave it on your laptop, right? It's kind of like why. I don't know. It's not. It's hard to say. It's not really. It's not really like, <laughs> like, desperate to show the world like my feelings. It's just, it's more just like here's the thing. It's really weird. So be it. And then if. And then actually, if it does something, then that's great. 
So. Right, yeah, I, I see what you mean. It's not about sort of going, hey, I'm striving to get here of this, but it's, but I think maybe all forms of kind of, it's a form of communication, isn't it? And I, I, I guess it's good to have a communication in some way connect, you know, in, in whether it's a conversation or anything, it's about a sort of a, a connection or, or connecting point, isn't it? And so if, I guess if some, some music or anything comes out, it's nice to know that there's, it reaches somewhere with people. I guess at least that's how I feel about my stuff. Yeah, for sure. I think like, you know, as a person, like just in general, like I have always been, you know, very introverted in a certain way and like, you know, very shy and very quiet. And well, that's just how people describe me. And I feel like, you know, sometimes you do want to express yourself or sometimes you do want to have some sort of, um, well, I guess people, yeah, they always want to be misunderstood. They want to be understood and, um, and yeah, like find connection with other people in certain ways. And I guess, yeah, if music can do that in a less verbal way, then that's a lot easier for me, I guess. Mm. Yeah. And and then with the, with the kind of like with the the kind of collaging as well, um, I love this kind of idea of collaging and what I've read of liturgy as well. Um, the kind of the fragments and how they're all connected, but how the different themes and everything like that. I mean, I, mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but would, is is collaging an a, an accurate word to describe this process? Um, I guess it has been used before. I maybe wouldn't think of that again as myself because I like to think that it's a bit more mm, intentional than collaging because collaging to me feels like a word that's like where it's a little bit more like brainstorming or like putting together the things that are loosely kind of involved but um, I guess I, f I feel like the things that I put together are very deeply linked um, and perhaps that's not always obvious, but but they are, I guess. It's like it's like construction, maybe. It just feels like it's more of a it's more yeah, structural than than that, maybe. Can you explain that a little bit more? Um, yeah, as in like I you know, in terms of like both writing and making music I often feel like I'm it's more like curating it's more like putting blocks of things together that make sense to me mm. rather than it being like a big like aesthetic thing mm. um so it feels like there's more there's there's usually a narrative that kind of goes through these things does that make sense yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And, and like in terms of the narrative, I, I've, I've read in an interview before that you, you make a kind of a connection to a kind of ritual and like a kind of a spiritual aspect um, in your work sometimes. Um, did that play into Holy Palm at all? Yeah, um, I think... Like, I wouldn't say I'm a deeply religious person, I think it's... But I think spirituality... Is something that maybe I have kind of consciously denied and kind of tried to 
battle on certain like um on certain cognitive levels like it doesn't feel like you know in a modern day it's like really hard to um to put these things together and feel like they exist in the real world or whatever but i think intuitively and on maybe an emotional level it does feel like these things are really tied um but for example like you know in in the book as well like a lot of the kind of say reasoning that i give to these certain feelings and things are actually just mental illness like it's kind of like the way that you know spirituality and things like about the paranormal like superstitions and rituals they're often to do with something i would say that is psychologically like not wrong but it's like a mechanism for people to deal with certain things mm. so i think you know i've always i've always felt like a very like logical and like science driven person like rather than say like um than say spiritual or like creative um i think that's how those things end up making sense and i think it's nice to kind of acknowledge and also allow both to be valid without saying the one is more real or more important than the other yeah it's a really interesting point and this is this this sounds i don't know is this something that has taken you a journey to kind of find a balance with because the way you describe it then it feels like you have a a kind of a balanced perspective that might have involved going one way or the other a little bit at certain points in your life has this taken a while yeah probably i think like i think like you know as a child there there were lots of things that i was exposed to that were like quite I'd say traumatic and also a lot of the way that those things were interpreted were that they were spiritual um whereas at the time I could only accept it as that because I don't I don't know anything else even though you know underlying I still felt like I always had this very like strict kind of way of seeing things um but obviously this dichotomy means that like it was very hard for me to like reconcile these like opposite kind of ideas and it was only kind of over time where i realized that actually there were real reasons for these things that were happening or the way that people were behaving or the way that we're interpreting or like seeing things in the world and then realizing that well you know maybe maybe sometimes it is just more interesting to believe in something that we can't see mm. yeah um yeah and um i love the resident advisor mix as well which i think that was like last week that that came out wasn't <laughs> there and um you were kind of said right at the beginning of the interview about like sort of how djing just felt kind of like really feels really natural to you how do you select tunes really <laughs> um I guess like obviously context and like situation and space is like you know a big factor into it but I mean for example with that mix like I I wouldn't say it's one of my finest mixes it's just like 
you know, I don't have decks and stuff. So it was kind of like, it was just a lot of like stitching together of things that I've been listening to or that I wanted to like put together or showcase as my mood or something. Mm. Um, but also I was, you know, very aware that like the RA kind of readership can be very purist. Um, and I was thinking that they're going to hate this. Um, and I think it's it's quite, f- but it's also kind of funny, you know, to feel like that, because obviously that's not what's really that important. Because it's like, you know, I think anyone can, well, nearly anyone can mix. And it's like, you know, I've DJed like a billion times and I know I can mix. So it's not, it's not really an issue with that. But then it's funny, you know, when you put something online and it's like, a kind of bro-y kind of environment then all these bedroom djs are going to be like what are you doing or like you know what's good you know and it's like kind of whatever like i don't know i'm not trying to like troll people but it's just like mm. it's just a different thing because also it's home listening it's not you're not in a club like yeah i mean most dj sets are made to be experienced out aren't they and we don't and there's so much that kind of gets caught up in like volume or or just atmosphere that we don't notice certain things but when something can be analyzed you know and listened to outside of that it's a different kind of process did that inform your process for picking the tunes or or not yeah I guess like I mean also I feel like you know in recent years like well maybe for a long time even but like as in there's more and more kind of like small independent radio stations that kind of exist which allow for like more kind of platforms and like general mixes for people who aren't like DJing in clubs um, even before the pandemic which is great like you know because it's a really nice way to find new music Um, but you know there's a lot to go through and I kind of feel like it's not I mean it's like really there is so much music out there and there's so much new music a lot of the time but it's like I very rarely find stuff that I really really like and would want to put in a mix so it's kind of like sometimes I put really old stuff in or sometimes I put stuff that I've just personally forgotten about but you know maybe someone else you know I'll even have heard um and then there's also things that like I don't know in a club it's kind of like you want to drop like a banger that like everyone mm-hmm. knows or something but in a mix, it feels a bit silly. Like, why would you do that? Like, I don't know. Like, you're trying to find things <laughs> that are maybe a little bit more obscure, but also there's certain things that lots of people from different contexts won't have heard. So it's also that. Um, I don't know. When I was in in Tokyo, like, a couple of years ago, I, I felt like there were quite a lot of um, DJs there who were, like, they were, like, sub, like residents, like, support DJs or whatever that you, that, you know, I hadn't heard of outside of Japan before. But the way they were mixing was like absolutely mental. Like it was just so inventive. Like it really felt like I haven't heard anyone do this. And it doesn't necessarily always mean good, but mm. it was really great that they were doing it. Cause it was like, and it's not, it's not in the sense that I feel like people in London or Berlin might do where it's like, I'm in Berkeley and I'm gonna play like R and B, like it's not like this kind of um like fuck you to the establishment sorry am i allowed to swear um um, and but it was more just like genuine almost like naivety um or just like pure enjoyment of like 
different genres and different tunes. Um, they just, yeah, it was really exciting to hear that. Wow, that sounds amazing. So, um, yeah, because I, I think, like, you know, there was, a, there was a thing about DJ Stingray playing some jazz in Bergheim a couple of years ago that went down with a big thing. But at the same time, I wasn't there, but I'm sure he mixed it incredibly well. And I'm sure he, you know, I'm sure he factored it in, EQ'd everything to a T. But, but so from what you're saying as well, it's like just like a sort of a joyful, creative naivety, perhaps, or maybe that's how I would perceive it if I heard what you were describing. There. Do, you think, do you think like, um, I, guess, I don't know, like DJing's too rigid. Do you think it's too technical? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I feel like a lot of DJs are super, super, like, it can be really boring. But then, you know, some of my favorite DJs, like, they might just play one genre. Um, but, you know, they know it very, very well. And the way that it is done is, like, perfectly smooth and uniform. But it's like, yeah, do you really want to listen to, like, smooth and uniform for four hours? Like, it feels a bit like you need certain energies to change and again some DJs are really good at doing that within these like parameters um and I have respect for that so like I would definitely prefer to like listen to that than to I don't know I've been to a lot of really bad club nights where it feels like people just play stuff just for like shock factor you know mm, yeah that's, I suppose there's a sweet point somewhere with with um your music kind of building sort of getting getting a lot of attention and and kind of like there's a feels like there's like a real nice vibe in terms of uh, people responding to holy palm and your mixes and um it kind of goes in with i mean there's you're not using beats quite all that often with what you put out um and do you feel that there's some way i don't want to use words like ambience although ambience is a thing that people always kind of mention when there isn't a beat for some reason um but do you do you find that um do you find like is that what does it feel for you not using beat? i mean you do use beats as well but not using beats as a predominant way of expressing yourself in electronic music it to me i mean to be honest it's really frustrating because most of the music i listen to is beats and club driven but I just I'm just not that good at it I'm just not good at writing music with beats so like and again like you know when I was mentioning before like I really need to be in a certain mind frame to make music at all um often if I'm in that mind frame I'm just like whatever comes out comes out so it's not really like I can say I want to do this and this is what's going to happen I mean, to be honest, I, I do feel like I should just spend a little bit more time. And if I want to do that, then I should do that. But also, I don't want to feel like anything has to be a limitation. Like, you know, just because I did a thing before that I have to keep doing that, etc. Um, but also, I do kind of like, it is really frustrating when I do feel like people call me like ambient or whatever. Because it feels like such a dirty word now as well. Like, it's not really what I intended. Same as field recordings. I'm not a field recordist. And I feel like people keep saying that. And I'm like, I don't even know how to, like, you know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe like, I mean, I, I guess, I don't know. Like, maybe all boxes are, are a little bit um, restrictive to describe anything in a boxes. Um, thank you for being so honest there as well. <laughs> <laughs> 
That was Flora Yin Wong speaking with me on Lost and Sound on May the 3rd, 2021. Her album Holy Palm is available on the Modern Love label. It came out October last year. Really, really, really worth checking out if you've not checked it out already, as well as her mixes. Like we discussed, the recent Resident Advisor one is really, really amazing. There's quite a lot of them on her SoundCloud. Links are on the podcast description. Thank you, Flora, for speaking with me and for talking so frank about approaches to work. It is still a little bit raining. The trees around me, they're all green now. Berlin is slowly transforming despite the weather, despite the fact that it still feels like winter. May is pushing through and it feels like Berlin is transforming into the, at least in terms of trees and greenness, into the summer jungle, the a beautiful summer jungle that it is. It is for half a year. I love the winter as well. I really do. I love the skeletal graffiti clad buildings. But when it gets to summer, oh my God, it's coming soon. I'm really excited. I'm going to treat myself to another coffee, even though I had one only about half an hour ago. Have an amazing one. It's raining. Stay dry. Thank you for listening. Lost and Sound is written and produced by me, Paul Hanford. Title music by ESO. And a big thanks to Kieran Yates in the UK for mastering the levels. And this episode is being hosted by Bear Radio. And you can check out other English language podcasts from Berlin by going on bearradio.org. And if you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and leave a comment. It really does help. And also, if you wish, you can help the production costs of Making Lost and Sound by buying me a digital coffee at coffee.com. There is a link in the socials. Take care and speak to you soon.